Welcome back to the Great Time Podcast, everybody. You're here with freshly shaved Jamesy. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm and so... Smooth, smooth sack, Randall. <laughs> smooth, yeah. My face is a sack. That's what you're getting at. <laughs> I haven't been clean shaven since, um, I don't know, it's probably been a good 10 years. Every once in a while, again, I get sick of looking at the same fat fucking face in the mirror. And, you know what? Uh, I'm gonna send you. I'm gonna send you this book that I just read. Called <laughs> Life Lessons Learned Diving. Yeah, get used to that face. Learn to love that face, and it should be you positive. Gotta, you gotta talk. You gotta positive. talk to the good inner voice. <laughs> yeah, when you're trimming your mustache, and you make a little mistake with that trim, it's hard to recover. So. You got to just start over, which isn't always bad, right? No, no. My wife likes it. She she's much prefers it, I believe. So, but again, I'm my own man, so fuck that. <laughs> well, hey, listen. <laughs> It'll be back in a couple days, thankfully. Yeah, well, well you, you see, you're gonna get to roll into that, you know, scruffy little, uh, you mm. know, George Clooney look. <laughs> don't insult george clooney like that there's a josh josh says this is a shout out to josh clean like clooney <laughs> clean like clooney there you go well, hopefully we just made his day right there by doing that little shout out well you got to be careful when you're using that beard hedger pro i mean that thing don't forget that that thing is a juggernaut of 20 hair cutting lengths titanium titanium coated t-blades you can't forget that and you know now that spring is here summer's on its way you gotta uh, be ready for that spring clean and get everything all fixed up nooks and crannies down in the cellar as well as that fine looking <laughs> face of everybody's out there manscape don't forget can help you get the perfect presentation on that beautiful face with that new Beard Hedger Pro kit. There isn't really a season or time of year when it's not called for, really. Absolutely not. You always need a good look. It's the rule six of facial hair. Always look good. Tame your goddamn wild hairs, man. Put them in their place. Make sure you look your best this spring, everybody, by using the code TGDP and get 20% off of free shipping at manscaped.com. It's time to tame your mane with the Beard Hedger Pro kit. The sun is peeking back out, which means you have to show your face in the daylight again, everybody. No more hiding hiding down <laughs> in the basement all winter long. So use the kit to make sure your scruff looks award-winning, whether you got glorious beard flow or some smooth cheeks. So get over there. 20% off free shipping. Code TGDP at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TGDP at Manscaped.com. Focus on the face. And use the Beard Hedger Pro kit for the cleanest look in the game, everybody. Brando, I was looking for something fun for the people after last week's close look at Daryl's new book. That was a fun look, though. That was still fun. It was, you... it was a really no, it was a really fun look. And a couple of those topics, you know, got me thinking about old old school Great Dive podcast, you know, stories we used to do. So I started looking through the library of old educational magazines. And one of the topics that is probably one of the most recurring topics from 
all of these old magazines that I've got is there would always be an article every so often about panic. No! <laughs> yeah, Is it true? And even still today, I mean, you it's a topic that readily comes up in the scuba world because it's a, it's a surefire way to have a really bad rest of uh, the dive, if not the rest of your life. Yeah, panic never never really helps anything, much less diving. Holy moly. And definitely not diving. I mean, it's if there's the worst place to panic, I'm going to say underwater is probably the worst. Well, yeah. Because the, the, the result is rocketing to the surface, and it's that's never going to be a good thing. Yeah, it's one of the worst for sure. And it never, you know, it's a complete violation of Rule 6 because you never look cool. Actually, it's the opposite of cool, isn't it? Panic is the opposite of cool. It is very much the opposite of keeping your cool. And if you go back to the 60s and 70s, 80s skin diver magazines, you were constantly seeing editorials about panic and articles written about panic, fiction stories written about panic, uh, into, you know, dive training, alert diver magazines, old uh, scuba diving magazines. I mean, all of these magazines have always had stories of panic prevention. And in November of 2003, it was no different. And I actually came across, I had pulled this magazine out months ago because it had a couple of other little articles in there that that were cover articles that I was like, oh, this, this would be fun to get to one day. This would be fun to get to one day. And as I picked it up, my thumb just grabbed onto this page talking about training and advanced diving and, and knowing your body. And I was like, oh, look at this. Grace under pressure. And what I first noticed was there's a little, little spot about what we were talking about last week with Daryl's book, stop, breathe, think, and act. And I thought maybe it was the the world, the fates, handing me this article saying, <laughs> it's more you need a, to bring this to the people. It's more of a synchronicity thing. Yeah, I guess that is a, a, the universe talking to you like, hey, hey, James, this might be a good idea. You can never talk too much about panic prevention in scuba. No, because it's, um, it's the go-to default when the shit hits the fan in places where you're not really comfortable or where you think the end is nigh. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You know, where you believe, where the perception, and that's a lot of it, isn't it? A lot of it is just perception of impending doom. doom. That you just, that is synchronicity because you were reading my mind. This is synchronicity day. That's, uh, that's the word. Somebody for, call the police. <laughs> it's going to be my, my theme, my word for uh, 2023, I think. I've been looking for synchronicities to try to, you know, steer me in the right direction. Make this help. That's all, that's help all I'm using from now on. Well, I wouldn't go that far. That's, that's a bit. <laughs> you, you, you can be led astray by going, by not having that balance, you know. <laughs> I'm all or nothing. You know me. <laughs> I was thinking of betting all my money on the horses, and then I saw a billboard for the racetrack. <laughs> it spoke to me. <laughs> See, that that can lead you astray a little bit. 
On the other hand, if you win, God knows what kind of mistakes you're going to continue to do. Although that was a fortunate mistake that ended in your favor. In hey, I am I am on my way down to Kentucky. I'm right Ooh. down by the Churchill Downs. Look, <laughs> Look out. out! Going to the bank. <sighs> Sorry, honey. Sorry, we lost the house. Get another one after eight years and bankruptcy. <laughs> Well, that could lead to a whole different fatality for old Jamesy right there. True. But this story, Grace Under Pressure, by Selena Yeager. Panic, Brando, may be the number one cause of scuba fatalities, and experienced divers are not immune. Here's how to keep your cool when things turn rough underwater. We have some suggested... Uh, what's the word? Suggested. I'm I'm at a loss for words today for some reason. I'm only one quarter of a cup into my coffee. My wife brought it to me before she left for her exercise class. I went to the. I went, got up and went and took a shower, and it sat on the bathroom vanity there. <laughs> I forgot about it. Anyway, long story short, I'm only a quarter cup into the day. That's a chug and refill right there. Yeah, yeah, you got a good point. I just had one of those adrenaline, epinephrine shots you can just inject directly in your heart, just like they did in Pulp Fiction, which is a great movie for a, a line about panic right there, right? The, stay cool, honey bunny. Remember where uh, Yolanda and, and Jules? Jules is like, we're going to all be little Fonzies. Everybody, little Fonzies. <laughs> Everybody be cool. What was Fonzie like? He, he was, was cool. cool. There you go. There's a little mantra for you underwater. Just be cool. Be, we're all going to be little Fonzies. By nature, she says, most divers are as laid back as Jimmy Buffett. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little, it's a little it's, presumptuous. It's a stretch, too. I don't know. A, yeah, yeah. But she says... We have to be to sail out to sea, toss on a tank, and plunge into the dark unknown. Yet, there's a little Woody Allen dwelling within each of us, threatening to turn dangerously neurotic should the tides turn. That's the essence of panic. You go from cucumber cool to scared, disoriented and out of control. Though new divers are more susceptible, experienced divers are also at risk, especially when a dive goes awry. Agreed. Agreed is two yeah, true words, right? Yeah. That's one thing is uh, the, the, the assumption that you've got enough diving in you that you become immune to it is, uh, is a dangerous place to be mentally. I mean, the, the best place to be is always knowing it could happen to anyone. Right, exactly. And, and uh, overtrain. So the reactions become instinctual and not, uh, rea- I shouldn't say reactions. We were talking about this, too, last, last right, week, yeah. right? The, the, it should be action instead of reaction. You take ac- action after you stop, think, breathe, and then, and then act, not, not so much react. But that takes constant practice right? to be in a place of action instead of reaction. Right. 
the idea of overtraining used to be stressed a lot. I don't know if it is anymore like it used to be, but the concept is you, you continually train until it, it's an instinctual response. You do it without thinking, really, but it's a cool response. Instead of the natural response underwater, it's time to get the fuck out, right? Right now. Whereas you want to overtrain and and try to take that natural response and overtrain it to a new natural response, which is stop, think, breathe, and then act to solve the problem. And then overtraining is, is one thing, but then it, it takes continual, regular maintenance. True. And, and grooming along the way, right, to, to just overtrain it and just, do a big heavy dose of training and then think, "Well, I, I'm got glad it. I over <laughs> glad I overtrain that into my psyche. Uh, I, I never need to practice it again." That's just as bad as not getting the the, the good practice to begin with. It's like it's like thinking, "No, you got uh, you know you, you got a black belt, so you're never going to get your ass kicked." <laughs> <laughs> That's not how it works, right? I mean, all the training does is it gives you a little bit better of an advantage when the, when the moment happens. But if you haven't been continually grooming it and practicing it along the way, yeah, that likelihood gets lost a little bit again. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you, you have to stay active in the uh, activity, in the sport, like scuba diving. It's, it's like flying as well. You know, if you're a pilot, you have to keep up with your hours. You can't take six months off and expect your skills and and reactions in other words your skills and your abilities to handle different uh, problems emergencies things that pop up you can't expect that mindset to still be there she says panic can kill in many ways rapid shallow breathing can cause hypoxia and a buildup of carbon dioxide the result A diver acts irrationally, breathing faster, expelling the regulator, or bolting to the surface. These panic responses can make you pass out, or even have a heart attack if you have a weak heart. And panicking impedes your ability to solve problems and get to safety when your equipment malfunctions or you're tangled in a line. Yeah, I think that point right there is at the... That's at the, the little that's the little tiny snowball that becomes the giant base of the snowman or the giant avalanche actually is that vicious cycle of the carbon dioxide buildup, which I, I believe is way more important than a hypoxia. Hypoxia is very it's kind of difficult to really happen at depth. Not impossible for sure, but CO two, because of partial pressure loss, will become dangerous pretty quick if you're not in control of your breathing and that's where the panic really plays a big part because you lose control of your breathing right and that's where is that snowball right there i mean getting tangled up in a line like she mentions you know your your fin buckle your your leg hits a line that's being run or whatever okay i mean it seems easy enough you just reach down and pull the pull the line off of <laughs> off of your Watch fin you know before. no big deal yeah. and a lot of times yeah hopefully that's all it takes but that also in order to do that takes extremely good balance buoyancy trim and control of breathing which 
when it doesn't go well, it's because of a breakdown there, and then just simply pulling a line off of a foot results in mm-hmm. losing buoyancy and crashing into the bottom and stirring up silt and losing visibility and mm-hmm. everything closing in around you, and it happens within seconds. And when it happens inside of a cave, uh, even the most experienced can get a little tense unless they, you know, be like little Fonzies and stay cool. Which is what you have to overly train yourself and continually maintain in order to be able to have even a chance to stay there. Yeah, I think what you're hinting at here or, or where you're going to is is a big reason we emphasize that attention to detail with equipment and streamlining and and no shit hanging off of you, you know, the having a console number one and dragging it through the, through the mud or wherever you're diving, trust me, you're going to be close to the bottom if you want to see things. And when you have things like consoles and octopus and other shit dangling off of you, that typically, you know, the octopi idea, (laughs) the idea that you've got to have something that is secured in your triangle, your safety triangle there, your, your, your chin and your your chest to to left and right chest area right you've got to have something secured there as far as your safety second or whatever you want to call it octopus is what we, we used to call it it's got to be secured but it's got to be able to be unsecured pretty easily you can't be fucking with it when you go to donate it so it's kind of a paradox and that's why it's always dragging behind people in the mud and getting caught on stuff and so that's just the beginning of a little tiny snowball that can lead to panic and big problems. Right, because it's never an issue until it's an issue. <laughs> exactly. Mine's never fallen out and all the, all the shit I've heard. And All you have to do is take a trip down to the quarry and watch a class, watch, watch experienced divers even. Like I say, it's a less than optimal equipment configuration, in my humble opinion. And in diving, you want to keep that stuff to a minimum so you enjoy the dive, not constantly trying to pick up that fucking console or octopus or whatever else you've got dangling off of you. Well, yeah, because the console idea was the way to have all your gauges in one easy-to-read spot. It's on a 40-inch long hose, so it's easily you can bring it up around in front of you so you can see everything nice and simple in one big swoop. In theory, but... it sounds great. In theory, it does sound great, doesn't it? I mean, it's like the dashboard of your car. Yeah, but because the the alternative to the console was you got to get so good with your diving skills oh, that you that. can use something that's really close to your body and clean and low profile, but it takes a little bit more physical learning and, and ability to manipulate to get that gauge up to you to keep everything more streamlined. Right. That takes too much time. <laughs> just throw the long hose, slap all those gauges on there, and let it drag behind you. Just reach back and grab it when you need it. Worse yet, let's put it on a thin metal cable retractable little device that, again, another another piece of equipment. Back in the day, I've tried all this stuff, and uh, it's a disaster. It's it's a disaster. I sound a little Chris, Christopher Walken there. It's a disaster. My father gave me this retractable. (laughs) (laughs) The National Underwater Accident Data Center attributes about one-fifth of diver deaths directly to panic. 
Another 22% of fatalities cannot be attributed to a specific cause. But considering the number of divers found with working equipment, ample air supply, and their weight belts firmly cinched, most experts believe that death due to panic is more common than we think. Oh, yeah. I like that she pointed that out. Most of these dead divers found have adequate gas, which just goes to show you, you had gas. What? And then the regulators work fine. Wait, so it was drowning or it wasn't <laughs> drowning? Yeah, you're, you're trying to figure out, well, what was going on here? You had everything you needed, really, to survive underwater to figure out what's going on. It it's really becomes a mystery unless you start going through hypotheticals, and the hypotheticals always lead to the person panicked. Or it was a sea monster. <laughs> I don't know, one or the other. <laughs> Wait for the, that's for the Halloween episode. Hold on, hold on. She says, trying to predict who will panic is a little like guessing who will win Survivor. With enough analysis, you could probably figure it out, but you're just as likely to be surprised, especially because panic strikes so many divers. A national survey from the mid-1990s shows that more than half of experienced divers reported having at least one panic or near panic experience. Oh, you can't. Not really, unless you're like, I don't care if I live or die, really. <laughs> I mean, you can't not have had the thought of panic or a near panic where something's gone wrong and your uh, brain starts racing and your heart starts racing and your breathing quickens and becomes less efficient. You know, that's had to have happened to you. It's had to happen to everybody, whether they're going to admit to it or not, right. and whether it led to a full-blown panic of holding your breath and shooting for the surface, right. you know, right? It, but it's happened to everybody. It happens driving your car to work at, at least once a week, oh, you know, yeah. and it, it's how you react to it because of <laughs> your experience and your yeah. awareness and, and your your ability to be in a calm state of mind is what keeps you from driving head-on into the semi-truck because you veered across the line and being able to pull back into the lane yeah. and calm everything down and without turning into a full-blown accident. Same thing, same little things can happen underwater. Yeah, and they do. I would say it. it's more apt to happen underwater. A lot more of equipment and it's life support equipment and the visibility is usually not as good as we'd like, that kind of stuff. She says, not surprisingly, people who have panicked on dry land are at an increased risk for losing control and panicking underwater. In a study published earlier this year, dive panic researcher and psychiatrist David Colvard found that 45% of men and 57% of women with a history of panic reported panicking on one or more dives compared to 19% of men and 33% of women who have never panicked before. If you've been diagnosed with a panic disorder, you should be very hesitant about jumping in the water, says Captain Marie Neflek, PhD and MD, who has performed nearly 20 years of diving research for the Navy. She says, if you really want to dive, find a very small class with a lot of personal attention and time in the water. I, I think that's the key part is it's time in the water. Time in the water is critical. It's a huge ingredient. That and the training 
and the gaining that comfort. So again, we'll go into that confidence, comfort, and competence. They're all dependent on each other with competence being at the base there. I got to I gotta become extremely competent, which gives me confidence, which when you're confident, you're very comfortable doing things, whether you're talking or diving. or Yeah, you have to have the knowledge. You have to have the ability and the comfort with yourself that you can do it. That's what that's what makes the confident diver. You can do it. You can do it, man. Knowing that you already have a bit of a anxiety issue <laughs> before before you even show up to scuba class, and then still thinking that you're going to do the same three day class as anybody else is it, it, it's a foolish notion. But nobody's talked into hey, you should be on a slow. Nobody's even offered a slow approach option right to the training yeah i think that's a great idea to a certain degree it's uh rather, rather than diving and i hope i don't panic i hope i don't panic for the whole time how enjoyable could that honestly be i hope nothing happens i hope i hope my equipment doesn't break it's basically just a hope dive where i hope things don't go awry right i mean but i mean if you're if you're nervous and afraid and timid that uh you're going to get mugged Nobody goes to the martial arts school and says, uh, I'm going to sign up for this weekend, learn how to kick somebody's ass so I'll never get mugged <laughs> class. Right? They sign up on a program where they enter and they're training multiple days a week for months, if not years, if not for the rest of their life yeah. to get more confident with their social awareness, their ability to read people, their ability to defend themselves. It's a standard issue in in most <laughs> things that you want to learn yeah. scuba for decades we've known that this is an issue yet the go-to is always still how cheap and how fast can i get this done well yeah that in scuba is so prevalent I, and i don't understand it it's a big conundrum why why would you try to find the cheapest quickest training for an activity that is taking you to an environment where you need life support equipment, the environment is hostile to human existence. I just don't get it, James. On the other hand, there's the other end of the spectrum where, like, you take your martial arts and then you, I'm going to go walk through the b baddest part of town because hopefully I get to use this. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. Some experts report that women also at a higher risk for panic the 1995 Sea Grant study from the University of Wisconsin-Madison found the incidence of panic was 64% among women compared to 50% among men. Neflek is skeptical that predisposition to panic is really a genetic quality. However, women may be more likely to admit when they feel panicked, says Neflek. They're also more likely to get into diving because their partner wants them to rather than their own accord, she says. That immediately puts them in a more vulnerable position. Scuba is something you should really want to do for yourself, which I think we're starting to see a little bit more of in today's world. But there really was a long stretch 
where this was very often the case. It was yeah. guys getting into scuba, dragging their wives and girlfriends along with them that really didn't want to be there. I mean, you remember dealing with that back in the day of, of early days of teaching, of people that just had no interest of being there. They were just trying to be the supportive you know, uh, <laughs> spouse and, and, and not ruffle any feathers and, and going through it when they had no interest in being in the water at all. Well, I'd agree. I mean, I think the other side of that is uh, life growing up as a boy versus growing up as a girl, which I'm not even going to get into the political crap here with it. But like you're a boy, we jump off of houses with umbrellas. We're jumping our bikes across rivers. We're doing crazy stuff. We're getting hurt. We're breaking bones. We're in the hospital a lot. So we quickly learn, hey, I can do shit, get hurt, I still live. And, you know, that immortal kind of thinking starts to happen, <laughs> whereas I can't right, be killed. Right. So the panic kind of goes, you realize, hey, you know, I'm going to get hurt, big deal, and, and you move on. And I think especially back when we were young, at least when I was young, you know, the girls weren't doing that. I didn't see too many. matter of fact, I didn't have any girls jumping the ramps with me and destroying bicycles or, and then, you know, rebuilding them to go do it again. (laughs) (laughs) Right. They were there. They, they were just not nowhere near as prevalent as the guys on on doing that. Yeah. They thought we were stupid. (laughs) And they were probably right. (laughs) Well, we are. But on the other hand, it kind of conditions us to do activities that maybe are a little more, risky and and the consequences can be can be worse but in our minds we've already gone through shit like this right right and i think that's where the where she's looking at those numbers kind of saying that same thing she said finally people who tend to react to adversity with anxiety are also more likely to panic when faced with a flooded mask or a great white looming overhead there are trait anxiety tests that could ferret out these nervous divers before they ever earn their C cards, but most experts agree that's unrealistic. Certified divers tend to fall in the lower range of trait anxiety to begin with, and the people who score high may simply be more anxious. They don't necessarily have panic disorder or other mental illness, says Colvert. Subjecting every potential diver to a psychological profile would be difficult, if not a violation of anti-discrimination laws. She says the bottom line is that panic is something instructors need to address more seriously and that participants need to prepare for more ardently. You need to honestly assess your own anxiety level. If you're a high-stress individual, you'd be wise to stay in the pool until you feel confident in your skills and ability to stay calm. If you're able to keep your wits, you can get yourself out of most of any situation, even if your equipment fails. And that, like we've been saying, is only going to come with time. And There needs to be that long-term approach to education and everything can't be a three-day class right because the behavior has to be modified which takes time your behavior to stimulus has to be modified and like we talked about last week there's that there's that space in between stimulus and response and that's the space where you think you stop think breathe and then act right and that's what needs to be looked at, trained into, and um, till it becomes instinctual, until it becomes a habit, right? It takes regular grooming, 
just like your manscaping takes regular grooming. Your diving needs to take like every need, everything needs to be constantly maintained. Just like your garden, just like your garden, you're, it's no different than your diving. And uh, you know, more shops, more instructors need to offer a, a, a path like a longer coaching uh, uh, lesson approach. And then more divers need to realize that that's something that they probably want to look for as well. And it's not just pay my money, do my two days, get my card, and I'm done with it forever. Yeah, I mean, even even like me, for example, yes, I'm clean, semi-clean shaven. I'm letting it grow a little. But I've had my beard since I was about seven. I've been uh, pretty <laughs> practiced at grooming my face. But even 50 years later, I go and take a big chunk right out of my mustache. Now, I could have panicked. You might have lost a whole lip. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and cussing out, cussing yourself out is not really panic. As a matter of fact, it's acceptable. And I, I, uh, when I train divers, I often encourage them to cuss things out. I mean, I, I could go to the local music shop or a guitar teacher and learn how to play uh, Van Halen song on the guitar. I, I could ask them to teach me, like note for note, how to play "Eruption," and I could get it sounding so good. But when the band tears off into another song that I haven't practiced, panic, right? Because I just, <laughs> you're right. It's going to be panic. I'm going to stand up there looking like a fool, <laughs> right? Because I really haven't learned the guitar. I've learned one little thing. Mm-hmm. But it, it's not applicable. You know what I mean? Like, that's the long-term coaching model. That's the long-term lessons. That's what real lessons are, is they're long, they're stretched out, they're continuous grooming to the craft that you're trying to learn. Rather than taking one class, that's not really lessons. Even though we call them scuba lessons, it's, we've, we've, we've morphed into this a quick class approach. Well, it's because of a certificate you get which bam there you go you're like oh i've got this and now i'm one of them i'm I'm one of the the gang and which includes you know (laughs) how how often have you been places (laughs) every every other panicked (laughs) diver out there yeah but it also includes all all of the 30-year veteran divers or the even the 10-year veteran divers that have been there and done that and have learned the hard way and and trained that panic out of them at the and at the when you get to the dive boat, everybody shows the same cart. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or when you're at the party talking, you know how how often do you get approached, James? Like, oh, oh I'm right. a I'm a diver. Well, there, there, so and so is a diver, and you're like, okay, well. At- oh, you got a you have a Vandenberg T-shirt too. <laughs> <laughs> yes. She says practice makes poised. Being scared underwater is a rational fear, says Naflek. The only reason we're all not panicking all the time is that we're trained, so we know what to do. Enough knowledge, practice, and preparation can soothe even the most anxious scuba enthusiast. Rehearse the basics. Practicing basic skills is essential for preventing panic. New divers especially need to rehearse important skills until they are burned into their psyche, says Colvert. Experienced divers also should brush up on the basics. Practice sharing air, 
clearing your mask and other skills you may not have done since certification. Visualize and mentally rehearse each dive. Yes, that's why you see so many people where they learn to clear their mask or remove and replace their mask, and then they never do it again. Why would you? Why Why would you got the handshake, you got the card. It's every time you practice it, it sucked and was terrible (laughs) and you hated doing it. Why the hell would you practice it? Yeah. And then it happens. I mean, and a mask getting kicked off or a mask flood or a mask failure where the strap breaks and the mask falls down to the bottom of the sea. If there's a bottom, um, that is the little mini snowball that starts the panic in a bolt to the surface. Of course, because the mask doesn't leak when you're kneeling on the tile bottom. <laughs> yeah. The mask leaks while you're in a current in Cozumel. Oh, I, I never practiced it like this. You're on a, you're, you're on a current on a wall. Or you're the behind bottoms. a scooter, James. Bought my DPV. Hook it up and they're off. And uh, that flow, that force will cause the leaky mask all the time. And now you got a scooter, extra equipment. You know? Oh, and you're probably uh, negatively buoyant because you're using the scooter to control your buoyancy for you. And then you, then you try to clear that. You got to stop scootering because you still need your two hands to because you haven't practiced anything. And then you start falling, and then now my ears are hurting because my ears are getting cracked. I'm like, I clear my mask, and I'm exhaling like a son of a bitch to get the water out, which is making me fall even more. So I hammer my inflator button, and boom. Uh, you act, you hit that overload at some point, and the surface is the only thing you want. And it's all overload because you've never practiced. You've never gained the basics to a state of competency and that idea of mastery. Right there is evidence you haven't got it mastered. And and that's that's the violation of standards, and we, we can go all into that too. But the idea of mastery needs to really, really be reexamined with some concrete set points, if you will, or waypoints of, okay, this guy has mastered this skill to this degree. Correct. And that only takes time until you get comfortable. Because you got to, I mean, everything that you're learning and everything that you're buying, you know, really underwater, you've got to be ready and prepared for that wonderful, handy little piece of technology to not be available to you to use anymore. And that only takes... You know, you, you get that new piece, but you got to assume that someday it might not be available to you. You can't let that make you go, oh, shit, get out. Yeah, a scuba equipment is a lot like, you know, your kids, your wife, your husband, whatever. They're going to let you down. <laughs> your friends. <laughs> it's, gonna, it's going to fail you once. I mean, and that doesn't mean it's bad stuff. It just means it's fallible, just like you are, just like everything is. She says, you got to plan for emergencies. Panic happens when rational fears become irrational, says Naflick. Have an emergency procedure ready for every situation. Plan what you will do if you see a shark, have equipment failure, or lose your buddy. Then rehearse those procedures with your dive buddy so if something scary happens, you both automatically know what to do. Okay, well, I have to kind of... Either put a caveat there or simply yes, disagree, I, you know, right? Fair <laughs> yeah, enough. I think you're on the same page here as far as yeah. Pra- the other side of all of this is that old saying, practice makes perfect, is not entirely correct. Right. Perfect practice makes perfect. In other words, you have to practice correctly 
or the correct responses. You're actually doing damaging education to yourself. You're actually damaging your whole scuba skill set if you're practicing something that's not really uh I don't like to use the word correct, right? right? Because it sounds so arrogant, right? right? (laughs) Go ahead. But I I had a guy talking just yesterday about wanting to get into an upcoming essentials class with me, and he hasn't been diving in a couple years, so he wants wants to get into that, but he's lost some weight. He's going to pick up some new gear, and he's going to get a bunch of practice in before the training, so he's, you know, ready for the training. And then we were having the same con- conversation. Like, you don't want to go in and do all these things that you were telling me that you didn't like about the way you used to dive before, which is all you know. This is why you want to do this new training so you can get better <laughs> at stuff. And you're going to spend three months just reinforcing uh-huh. all your bad old. Ha- just, let's just get into the class and get going. And, and get on the path of that very thing of practicing correctly. Oh, and he's just made your job so much harder. Now you've got to unlearn that, which is difficult. The more entrenched it gets, it's when teaching fundies, when teaching the essentials, man, I can remember I would much rather have a new diver rather than these 20, 30-year veterans on, you know, in the class because you know how difficult it is to unlearn someone unteach 20 years of reinforced bad bad i don't like to use bad or incorrect i don't know what the improper procedures that that just don't work we've shown they're ineffective they don't work in the real world so we have to reteach them a kind of a a proper response or uh, actions well, yeah, right, because they've been diving for, you know, 20 years. I mean, I had a, just this last weekend of trying to get somebody through that extreme scuba makeover, that little ESM program, yeah. for that very thing of these old habits are just drop, break trim, break buoyancy, make the situation worse. But it's all, you know, when, when you get faced with a little obstacle and now it's you – underwater with the sound of your bubbles and your thoughts and that tunnel vision just locks into your eyeballs inside of your mask and that's all you see and all your body knows are are these old ways man that's a difficult difficult process to to break out of somebody's you know mind like the, the that's like the root part of their mind yeah up on up on the surface it's easy to sit and you know, theorize and and talk out what I would do and how I would do it and when I would do it and go back and forth and exchange ideas. It's a whole different game when you're underwater faced in the moment. She says, remember, S-B-T-A, spita. (laughs) Physiologically, it is almost impossible not to calm down when you're breathing slowly and deeply from your diaphragm, says Colvert. Train yourself to stop. Breathe, think, act when something unexpected happens. Come prepared. Have the proper equipment to bring you great peace of mind. Have a wetsuit for cold water, a backup light for night diving, and anything you need for special circumstances like rec dives. Never fudge with it or use equipment that you're not familiar with. And this is something that I see it like every single time you get you get these shops, you know, taking people down on uh, these new trips, these new adventures. 
and well, you, you should have this for the trip and this for the trip and this for the trip. And these divers load up with 10 new pieces of gear that they just clip on and stuff in pockets and, you know, add to their rig mm-hmm. without without taking any time <laughs> to learn how to use it, oh, yeah. learn how to deploy it, learn how to restow it, learn how to move it around, learn how to work it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I I laugh every time somebody thinks, "Oh, I'll just carry something in my pocket in case in case I need it for an emergency." And I and I I think, "Well, that's a great first step, but you have to go practice uh, retrieving it and and employing it or deploying it. You have to practice that part because, for example, wearing wearing a stage couple stage bottles, deco bottles, and I'll just throw it in my left pocket. Try go go for it, man. Let's see what happens and just watch the circus just begin with the music. Or even throwing on the bottles because well, it's more <laughs> gas. It's gotta be. It's only gonna, gonna, gonna make extreme, it's yeah. only gonna make me safer <laughs> adding another bottle. Yeah, and that's where you know it. It sounds so simple. Everything sounds so simple. I need more gas, or I need a spare, or I need a, a fully redundant system like a pony bottle with full regulator on it. And then so they just grab that, strap it on the back, or carry it wherever they carry it in ridiculous places without any thought or proper training. Now, eventually, you could probably learn how to the ins and outs and what works and what doesn't work if you go in and, and try different things and go through scenarios where you actually have to deploy and use it. And you'll see the downfalls of the many different configurations of things like a pony bottle. If you go out and practice. If you don't, you see people like what we see, which is strapping pony bottles right across their chest or onto the back of their tanks or things like that, or they put it on the right side and and you are wearing a long hose, it's going to interfere with a long hose deployment if you ever do have to. And that's the thing is the emergencies don't happen very often, so you don't get a chance to really use it. And so you don't see the downfalls. But when it does happen, all of the downfalls, all of the bad, bad ideas come to fruition. Listen to your instincts. (laughs) You have nothing to say. You're like, I have nothing to say to that. I just no, no, yeah. I, I thought, no, I thought you, I, you something oh, great. Oh, okay, no. And whenever we bring this stuff up, it's never a personal, like like the guys, like the guy that I know that wears his pony bottle perpendicular to his chest. Guy's great. He's really super nice. But I know, I know the downfalls of that particular uh, equipment configuration, and to believe that those downfalls won't happen to you. Is really not. It's not well, realistic. That, that when you look at you know anybody who actually is using a, a bottle like on the regular and can do it controlled, and you see the difference. Well, that is. It's huge. it's just a mess. Yeah. yeah. You know, the, the the bottle's a big, cumbersome, sloppy mess. It doesn't look pretty. At all, it's not impressive to it's see. Not it. streamlined. It just, looks, yeah. it just looks like a diver carrying too much shit, <laughs> and then the hose comes out. You got a a forty inch regulator second stage just dangling, you know, on top of everything else. You know, just down and away, drag it. It it's not about just adding equipment. Thank you, and that's kind of what I was getting at. I mean, all these pictures come into my head when we talk about oh, just add equipment. The guy right. that we knew, a really good guy, loved him. You know, what did he have? No less than like six second stages on him and 10 knives. No exaggeration. 
10 knives. What, what's going on there? What's the deal? What are you going to encounter underwater that you need 10 cutting devices? Listen to your instincts. If a dive doesn't feel right, don't do it. Period. Never dive beyond your training and abilities or push when the conditions aren't cooperating. And, I mean, I mean that's such an old scuba axiom. Uh, it almost, to me, seems superficial sometimes. Yeah. You know, it's said by so many people, but rarely practiced. is it addressed and practiced and followed. You know? Now, this one I really like. Plan pauses. See how I did that? <laughs> Nice. You're pro, man. You're pro. <laughs> Prevent unpleasant surprises with pauses at every main transition, like when you enter the water or at the bottom, before you ascend, at your safety stops, and so on. Take a moment to assess your gear, your buddy, and the environment. Constantly. Constantly. You're, you're constantly in check. You know, you're, you're constantly monitoring that stuff. And you do that, like planning the pauses of knowing, yeah, we get in the water. It's not going to be just <laughs> clamor for that that down line and go, uh-huh. right? Boom, that's where, like, you and I, it's a quick look, quick little bubble mm-hmm. check with each other. Yeah, long hose is fully out, deployable. My necklace, I can breathe off of that. Let's restow this nice and clean. Boom, boom, all my valves are good to go. Yeah, let's rock. We get to the bottom, square everything away, gas is where it should be. It's not just go, 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 and then run into a problem and go, oh, shit. If you're constantly planning these subtle pauses, these subtle little checks along the way, the likelihood of hitting the problem is unlikely that's going to lead to panic because you're maintaining and grooming the dive all along the way. Agreed. Yeah, it's... um. Even even on the dives like drift dives or you go down to uh, a place where there's a current like West Palm or Cozumel or whatever, and you got to get in the water and, and drop, but you can get down five feet under and do, do a quick check. <laughs> do a quick check as you're going down too. I mean, all of the stuff you say is, it's easy to say too. It's again like, oh, I'm, uh, I'm using my gas too much. I'll just buy another tank or get bigger bottles. I need fins that are easier to kick. <laughs> exactly. It's the fins. These, these ones, the I need fins. something light of these split ones. They're really light and super easy on my knees. Mm-hmm. So easy on my knees, Brandon. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Good luck with that. Um, <laughs> but God forbid you put the time in with proper equipment that has been proven to work. Wait, you mean... It's my it's my technique <laughs> that that needs that needs fixing, not uh, not a different product. Well, if they're if they are like in their brain and their mind, they're saying I'm doing it exactly like my instructor was doing it. Well, there you go. Now we start to point oh, to a go. bigger problem, right? She closes out by saying, "Fix the little problems before they snowball into big ones, and you'll go a long way to warding off panic." Colvard says it's usually not. One thing that sends you over the edge, but a combination of unexpected factors. Yeah, almost every single time. Yeah, nobody runs out of gas because all the gas just vanished out of the tanks. And rarely do they run out of gas. <laughs> That's the other thing. It's perceived. Nobody, nobody gets tangled up in the line because they got wrapped up in the line all of a sudden. <laughs> 
especially in your your essentials and the fundies class. And you know, I'm sure other instructors are out there that can teach the the same kind of mentality. But the idea that you're constantly vigilant and you're constantly aware, the situational awareness has to be there. And that's something it's difficult to train. It's easy to okay, we got to talk about it and you define it and kind of give examples, but. It's different every time you're in the water because the environment's different every time you're in the water. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. I, I just yeah. I mean, it's a easy concept to sit and talk about. Yeah, they've but even thrown the water, it thrown it in open water. I mean, they've even thrown the words into the the mainstream open water classes. The words are there now, which they weren't. But practicing it underwater is a game of constant attention. And the only way that you're going to have the awareness there is if your brain isn't being taken up by all the little things like that buoyancy. make a diver. Yeah, yeah, like just that, just make you a diver. Like yeah. you've you've got to have that if you're eating up, you know, valuable room in your brain for for paying attention to what's going on with having to think about: Do I need a little bit more air in my BCD, or or should I let a little bit of air out of my B? Is that too much air in my dry suit? Is am I going to get air up on my feet in my dry suit and shoot to this? And uh, oh, where the where did my buddy go? I mean, if your brain is, if you're spending time having to think about that stuff, well, you, you're never going to have the room for the big picture stuff. Right. It has to become almost you know like driving. If you're a decent driver, if you remember. <laughs> Remember early driving, and I, I bring this up all the time because I think it's a great analogy. But if you remember early driving, especially if you have if you're learning to drive manual transmission, if you're learning to do that, there's a lot of mental focus being taken up by just learning the shifting. Okay, oh, yeah. And then you, on top of it, you've got road signs and pedestrians and other cars and the the road itself and your map, the, the directions you're traveling, where you're, you're trying to go, all of that stuff's up there in your mind, much like diving. And in the beginning, you can't hardly, uh, you know, change the radio station or turn it on. You don't even want it on, you know. <laughs> without, without veering off into oncoming traffic, yeah. Right, yeah. so you have to become extremely competent at operating the vehicle before you start doing crazy shit. No, you got to wait for that. Yeah, yeah you got to wait for it. You got to become competent at driving. All right, everybody. Well, hey, that is Grace Under Pressure. Brando. Jamesy. Should we sign some uh, logbooks for uh, for this little dive here? Let's sign some damn logbooks. Yeah, that was a good dive. Hits a lot of points, that dive. Brando, stop, breathe, think, and act on signing my logbook now. <laughs> here you go. Jamesy. All right, sounds good, everybody. We will talk to you next week. See, I did that planned pause there again.
Bye. 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 Bye.